Hello and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This week we're discussing online teaching and learning in higher education, particularly in light of the COVID pandemic. With me to discuss that is Professor Tansy Jessup, Pro-Vice-Chancellor Education at the University of Bristol. Professor Jessup, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Gavin. It's great to be with you today discussing a very interesting topic. So just to start us off, what are the features of high quality online teaching and learning? The first things I think of are about simplicity, clarity, and an environment which nurtures interaction. I think if you look at Jilly Salmon's model and other people who've written about this, one of the first principles of online teaching and learning is making students feel comfortable, but then pushing the bar on that towards uh, uh, criticality and exploration of ideas in ways that are not that are beyond the comfort zone. So I, I think it's about creating dialogic spaces and energizing participants. I think one of the things that's um, certainly uh, become more and more evident as we've uh, begun this big journey into online learning and teaching at Bristol is its capacity to personalize learning, to create more flexibility. And an interesting observation people make is that it slows learning down, particularly the asynchronous content, the content that students can pick up when they want to, uh, encourages quite a thoughtful way of learning. The other thing about high quality online and learning and teaching is just that it does require a whole different, it requires a bit of a reset from students, from the learners, because I think it requires more autonomy, more active participation, uh, time management, self-motivation. You can't just drift through an online teaching and learning course. You need to know why you're here. High quality online learning and teaching needs good Wi-Fi, good platforms, erasing digital poverty. But I think these three things alone won't do the trick. So that's, I mean, that's probably more than you were looking for, but that would be my sense of online learning and teaching. No, so that all of those points are really interesting and some of them are not immediately obvious to uh, the outside world. What do we know about learning outcomes for students from online teaching and learning compared with, say, in-person teaching? So this is interesting. I mean, obviously, some um, universities have done online learning as their only thing, like the Open University. But for us at Bristol and for other universities in the sector who've pivoted to online quickly, I think the jury's out in terms of learning outcomes. I've recently launched a Pulse survey at Bristol where 2,500 students have responded and students are saying they're learning a lot from online learning compared to in-person, but it's difficult to tell because the in-person education they're getting is quite parsimonious because of social distancing and, and therefore uh, they may be saying they're learning more from online learning just because there's more of it. My sense, Gavin, is that um, students are working harder because there's more for them to do, but I think they're finding learning in their bedrooms and staring at screens also hard. Graham Gibbs is one of my mentors, and he talks about students distributing their effort. And I think what, what we're finding is the online environment is certainly encouraging students to distribute their effort well. Uh, so time on task is quite high. And certainly, you know, many of my colleagues have done newly minted, fantastic asynchronous preparation. So, you know, it's, it's online, but it's not live. And mm -hmm. students are having to do quite a lot of preparation for themselves. They can't be passive. 
So we may find that uh, the learning outcomes are are really good for students. Our, our short burst at online assessment in summer seemed to indicate that students valued open book exams, open book coursework, that it was a deeper, slower, longer experience of uh, showing what they knew. There's quite a lot in the learning outcome side of online learning that we will learn from and be able to adapt for the future. Uh, I think it's quite an exciting um, area to, to investigate. So I want to ask you about the future, because obviously almost all of the online learning that universities are doing now, they're doing because of COVID, because of the restrictions and the difficulties they have. But potentially we get to the point where the pandemic has passed and we could have online learning being used more as part of a blended learning package for in-person residential students. What might a blended package look like? What, what aspects of what we've learned so far would we want to keep into the future? This is a really exciting question and I think lots of universities are thinking about it now. The flexibility is exciting for many students. The long, slow, deep engagement with material. And I think the, you know, one of the firm principles of online learning design is having bite-sized lectures, you know, anything between five and 20 minutes, sort of bookended with interactive exercises. Most students are finding that more exciting than a 50-minute lecture, which they passively listen to. One of the interesting questions is, you know, doing hybrid blended learning through COVID has really been exhausting for many staff. And I, I just wonder, I suppose one of my fears is that there may be an impulse to boomerang back into traditional face-to-face -face teaching. I think we've got to take some of what we've learned forward. And, you know, I was just chatting to a professor in chemistry yesterday who said he could never go back to lecturing as he used to lecture because what he does now is so much better. So I, I think this idea of bite-sized and interactive has really got resonance. Mm -hmm. And I, I suppose when you say, what will it look like going forward? I think we'll find a middle ground. I think we'll adapt some of the digital and bring it into the in-person world. And I think we'll be more expansive and adventurous, uh, almost courageous about online learning as distance learning, you know, CPD, summer schools, the government's sort of leveling up agenda, you know, we could, we could get a lot of ground and be more expansive in our offer if we've got the bandwidth with our staff with uh, flexible online learning for reskilling and upskilling. So I think that's quite an exciting part, you know, not just the traditional undergraduate degree, but some more different kinds of courses we could be quite inventive about. So you mentioned, and I fully understand it, the exhaustion of staff, which, you know, that the challenge that they have at the moment is absolutely immense. Do you think that online learning in a, in a steady state once we're past the pandemic is necessarily more time intensive or is it less time intensive or is it about the same to deliver high quality experience? I'd say it's more time intensive. It's not just the learning curve of the digital you know, getting to grips with when, you know, you, you think before COVID, you know, probably about 10 to 20% of our staff were sort of, if we were lucky, digital aficionados, or at least much more familiar with it. 
And I think most of our staff have had such an accelerated pace of change. Mm. You know, that has been time intensive and resource intensive. I think it brings me to the, the idea, Gavin, that online learning triggers a conceptual shift in how you teach. And it's much more student-centered and learner-centered because you're having to think much more intentionally about what the student will be doing. And I think that's the ramping up of workload. It's not the, you know, WYSIWYG tools and, you know, how to, how to press the buttons. It's about being thoughtful about the student learning experience, which arguably in traditional teaching, you should always be. But I think we'd slumped into a way of being where we rolled out fairly familiar offerings and you could get away without being that student-centered. I think in the online environment, you can't get away with it. So I think it is it is quite time-consuming. And what it does is recognize that you know, teaching is, is, is a real intellectual endeavor that we need to value and we need to carve out time for. And therefore, I think, you know, going online is more time consuming, I think, because of the conceptual shift it implies. So one of the things that people occasionally say is, well, this subject or that subject don't really uh, lend themselves to online teaching. Is that, is that true? Are there, are there some disciplines that don't teach very well online? Yeah, so the aspects of some disciplines that are really hard to do online. So I think, you know, students who want to do chemical experiments or are in clinical situations or who are learning to be um, to be actors in a theatre and performance degree or learning how to use uh, media equipment in film and TV, they need a good proportion of their degree to do that in person. That's a, that's a given. We've got some courses at Bristol doing virtual labs, but I think it's not a substitute for the real deal. So I think there are some aspects of subject that need in person. It's not to say that some of your biochemistry and some of your biology and some of your chemistry and some of your medical or dental or veterinary training or some of your theater theory can't be done online. So I think, yes, there are subjects where it's harder to do the full course online. One of the other things I wanted to talk to you a little bit was about skills. And obviously, academic staff have a set of skills in, involved with in-person teaching and are now having to develop a new set of skills. How can universities go about supporting staff to develop the skills they need to do this really well? When we first start, started the, the road of supporting our staff, staff said to us, you know, this is like learning a whole new job. You know, it's just, it's just completely different. And, and for me, the way to do this is to tackle the conceptual as the, the first principle and the technological as the second. And so I, I can only speak from Bristol's point of view. So what we've done is we... We hit upon a formula with the online shift for the first lockdown, which was the daily digital. And the daily digital was a daily hour and a half of, you know, I'm new to this. How do, how do, how, how do we teach like this? And colleagues from the Digital Education Office and I led a daily digital for five or seven days. And we had about 600 colleagues sign up. And it wasn't, it was bite-sized where you percolated through the week with different aspects of online learning. 
And we thought this formula actually works. So when it came to May, June, and we realized that the whole year would have huge components of digital, we ran a digital design course and I drew in more colleagues. I drew in our Bristol Institute for Learning and Teaching and our digital education office and people who were, we've got 60 digital champions, you know, more than we would need per school. And so we drew them in and we designed a digital design course, which we ran for seven days about an hour and a half a, a day and lots of content, asynchronous content, lots of modeling behavior, lots of you know, short clips of Zoom videos about fantastic ideas. And really the, the heart of it was your teaching should have a narrative arc. And so we, we worked with this idea of storyboarding and a narrative arc and we got people learning about how to build community, being inclusive, all that stuff. And we ran it for about 1500 colleagues it was, you know, voluntary people signed up. About 80% of the colleagues got huge um, benefit from it. So we haven't done a sort of tick box thing. We've basically, we've spent time with colleagues. We've really, and then we've done another course for our postdocs and researchers who teach. We've had about 1500 people sign up on that. So we've got big numbers. I think we've got to go back to that again. We've got to now, at the end of the semester, think about, you know, what have people learned? How can we wash this up? What are the things that have worked and not worked so that we can actually then fine tune with colleagues? So we've had quite hands on. We've not done compulsory training, but we've tried to persuade people to come on board and to sp spread infectiously more than COVID. Hopefully the, the good news about, you know, how you can actually have fun interacting with students online. That's been our approach. I think it's a long game. It's not over yet. And I think we've got to have iterations where we catch up with people and do some more time with them. I, I think had we done two days of training or kind of asynchronous training with our staff where they learned study skills by themselves, I don't think we would have had engendered quite a, as much as excitement as we have. So I think it's been it's been fab, actually. I mean, we've learned lessons, though. Hey, you know, this is quite experimental territory for an essentially face-to-face -face university. Yep. But I think what we've tried to do is say, we're all in it together, we're learning lessons, we will make mistakes, it's not gonna be perfect, it's messy, but let's try and be leading edge about our conceptual foundations, let's think through learning design carefully, let's think through it together, and let's regroup when we've done some. Let me turn the telescope around the other way, just to ask a little bit about the students and What's you've talked already a little bit about uh, views from your poll survey and, and so on. In terms of learning outcomes, we, we, it's still early to say, as you said, but what do we know about the implications on, for example, student welfare, student mental health, the, the overall aspects of student life in the university? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think this is the really interesting question. If you think about it, we've got 26,000 students. Um, the majority of them sign up to come to Bristol for a face-to-face -face experience. So you sort of immediately are, with COVID, students are getting something different from what they expected. And they're getting something different from what they expected in a global pandemic, where the messaging, you know, from government, from universities has been quite hard to read a lot you know we've tried our best but it's been really difficult so I, I think the first thing to say is that students are entering an arena that is not the one of their choosing so it's it's the first thing to say the second thing is that 
when I ask questions about online learning and community in the Pulse survey, the two questions that I ask that I think are, are most telling, I am able to build a community with, you know, or I'm able to connect with my lecturer, my teacher well online, and I'm able to build a community with my peers online, I have the weakest showing. So I think that for me and the qualitative comments are revelatory about the levels of anxiety of our students. I don't think it'll be Bristol only, I think it'll be across the sector. And I think there's a real task to be done with um, blended learning, online learning, even the in-person teaching where there's so many mitigations and barriers, you know, and social distancing and face covering visors, you know, the environment must feel quite threatening for many students or quite isolating. For me, the big challenge is how we create community online, how we actually, and we've, in our digital design courses, we've spoken about building relationships, creating community. But, you know, you know, you think about it, most of our academics, they're top flight researchers, they're good teachers, they come here to do an intellectual job. And what we're saying is actually, you know, and our Bristol Futures Curriculum Framework says, hey, it's not just an intellectual job. This is a job about students' personal development, about their sense of belonging. And it's that piece of the picture that we, as a, as a sector, need to travel some distance on. Uh, and I think it's been revealed. It's kind of shined a, shined a light on it in these very um, challenging times. One thing that I see is that sometimes the media portray online teaching as being somehow less, less of a university experience and less quality than in-person teaching. How do we go about tackling this perception problem? Yeah, I, th I think it's been a terrible perception problem. And I think the moment it began, there's a wonderful article um, in The Guardian recently, I think by Gabby Hincliffe, I can't remember her surname, but she says the moment the media spoke about Cambridge's lectures going online and this being a low bar offer suboptimal, you could almost feel every vice chancellor's antennae going up saying, we've got to have in person, we've got, you know, in person this thing to have. And I think it's driven a narrative. The media have driven a narrative really that says, you know, in person is the thing to have. It's the it's the top flight thing and online is some, somehow the lesser beast. And we need to tell a story, which actually is a counter narrative to that. And we've got to start tackling the media on this in a way that is, puts, us, puts online learning on the front foot or an equal footing with um, in-person teaching. I think otherwise we, you know, we run the risk of underselling the offer. And I think the offer in terms of learning outcomes intellectual growth and as we get the community building right you know the offer is an equivalent but different offer online is different and our students haven't signed up for online they signed up for in person so we know the expectation is dashed there but there's nothing wrong with the quality of good online learning you know the, 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 yeah, and I think we need to tell that story. Well let's assume that we do tell that story and let's assume that online learning techniques continue to grow. And let's also assume, hopefully, that the COVID pandemic passes us and we're back to a more sense of normality. How might a typical university course look like in five years time with all the opportunities of blended learning? 
This is a really interesting question and one we're all trying to bottom out. I think a typical university course will have a much better um, digital interface with students in five years' time. Investment in the digital campus will enable us to actually have a much more seamless environment for our students. To some extent, to answer the question, I think we've got to think about undergraduate students and think about rites of passage and, you know, whether the COVID pandemic and this experience of blended and online learning is enough to shift the dial on place, rites of passage, leaving home for 18 to 21 year olds. And I'm not sure it's enough. I think undergraduate education may be more digital, but basically remain a residential or let's let's say it's not all residential some people commute from home and with the recession and you know the, the the economy we may find a shift to more people opting to be online or not to be fully uh, residential so so i think we may find some shift with that uh, given the economics given the success of some online learning given it being offered as a viable alternative. So we may see a sort of 25% shift to that. I think with PGT, with reskilling, upskilling, continuing professional development, short courses, non-lab PhD, the world's our oyster in terms of enabling an online environment. Because often people in uh, postgraduate taught and uh, postgraduate courses can quite easily, you know, they might carry a small part-time job or be in a full-time job and doing this. So I think we could have more of a shift there. I think what it's done is um, expanded our capability. What this says to the sector is you can do, you can offer um, alternatives for students which are more flexible. I, I'm struck by uh, one of our biology students saying to um, the head of school, I've got a hearing impairment, she said, and until this year I felt excluded. This is the first year I felt I can really engage in the material. So I think in terms of inclusion, personalization, flexibility, optimizing people's lifestyles and uh, choices, we may have much more choice in five years time. What we will have, I think, is a steady, there's going to be change in continuity. And the continuity, I believe, will be with our residential undergraduate bulk. Really interesting conversation. Could talk to you all day, but we have run out of time. Professor Jessup, thank you very much. It's been fab chatting to you. Thanks, Gavin. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Professor Tansy Jessup, Pro Vice-Chancellor Education at the University of Bristol. Online teaching in higher education is also the topic of an online event being run by the Foundation on the 25th of November, with speakers including UK Education Minister Michelle Donnellan. Details of that event and how to book, plus all our other events, blogs and podcasts can be found on our website at www.foundation.org.uk. Next week, we'll be talking more about online higher education and my guest will be Paul Feldman, Chief Executive of JISC.